You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another unfiltered episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. And I'm feeling a little feisty today. Uh, I just had some leftover spaghetti and uh, I washed that down with a black cup of coffee. I that I don't know, like coffee and spaghetti don't aren't supposed to go together but for this meal it it did um and here is kind of my daily regimen it's coffee until lunch then i drink water from lunch until dinner time and then it's usually followed by a glass of bourbon um and when i say it out loud it sounds like uh, a very unhealthy uh way but it's not like coffee's good for you i think Um, I drink just about enough coffee throughout the day to not get a heart attack. And then I balance it out with water. Uh, I drink a lot of water. Uh, I go work out. And then I replenish that nutrients (laughs) with a nice glass of bourbon. And uh, what was it last night? was, uh, what was it? Jack. It was Jack Daniels. Something simple, right? Jack Daniels is always the same, so I love it. Uh, so that's my daily regimen. This is a, this, what I'm about to do is a sip of water because I'm recording at 11. Uh, it's a Friday. So I technically probably could be drinking 20 years ago. I'd probably be drinking now, 15 years ago. I probably would be drinking 10 years ago. Maybe, maybe 10 years ago I would have been drinking, but, uh, 10 years ago I didn't have any kids and was just getting into a relationship probably with my wife at the time. So Anyway, here's a sip of water. Today, man, what are we going to do? Today, let's see. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some strategy, uh, scouting, uh, shed hunting. Uh, kind of do both those things at the same time. I'm going to kind of cover a little bit of that. I'm going to cover what I'm going to be doing, how I'm going to be doing it uh, within the next couple months, and how I'm really going to start hitting the pavement so to speak for scouting public scouting current properties and trying to gain access to new properties here in Iowa I have a list of like 
four properties in uh, in the surrounding area that I'd like to go and uh, chat with uh, the owner about and see if I can't gain access to this. And then I'm going to also be reaching out to some property owners in different states. Just via letter in the mail, I do have some telephone numbers I'm going to reach out and, and make some phone calls and just try to see if there's anything else in different states that I can work up because I feel it would be awesome. Um, don't get me wrong. Public land is great, but if you have the option or the ability to knock on somebody's door and hunt private ground, whether it is a fully functioning farm or they don't have any livestock or it's just like an empty, empty ground where wildlife lives, I would think that a majority of us would use that as an option. So that's kind of what I'm going to be doing in the next, throughout this summer, even just kind of getting, putting the feelers out, seeing what I can't do, because I'll tell you right now, permission has an expiration date. And on some of the properties that I hunt, the landowners are getting older. And one of them is currently in a nursing home right now. And who knows? what's going to happen in the next handful of years. So having backup plans, cause it, I, dude, I've, I've heard it before, even from guests on this show where a guy's like, yeah, man, I, I showed up to hunt that fall and all of a sudden, boom, it was sold. And then I lost another piece at the same time. So now this guy went from 800 acres of some prime ground to like 40 acres of not so prime ground. And he was just like, everything changed in, in, in a heartbeat. And I don't want that to happen. Right. So I want to stay on top of the, of the, the, uh, land rotation, the access rotation that comes with having permission style hunting. And even to the point where, you know, hopefully, man, I'll tell you this, it's frustrating because every time I, I start to save a little money, I get to the point now where it's like, man, should I maybe try to buy some ground? And then ground goes up. Maybe I should buy some ground and then ground goes up. And so I feel like I'm just kind of running in place with trying to find some ground, uh, some ground to potentially buy in, in Iowa and in the county that I live in. Man, land prices are ridiculous right now. I, I don't understand. And here's what I'm afraid of. And this is me being in full, especially when it comes to recreation ground. And, and this is what I'm seeing in Iowa right? So there's a big landowner. Part of his, a majority, let's just say even a majority of a landowner's ground is in some form of agriculture. It is in, it is in ag or it's in livestock or a combination. And then they have a chunk of that that has uh, timbered, you know, timbered fingers, uh, some scrub brush, old cattle pasture, whatever. That's the deer habitat. And here's, here's what's going on is, and this is, I've seen this firsthand, especially in Iowa, is we have local people not being able to afford the ground. So it is purchased by someone who is out of state and, or not from the area. They come in to an area, all the people that currently have access to it get displaced. Now, a lot of you are thinking, Hey, tough shit. That's life. And I agree, man. I agree. Because if I was to ever buy a piece of property, there would be some displacement, but at the same time, other hunters like myself and my family would be able to come into it. So 
I know this is probably, you know, hey, play that violin, buddy, but uh, I just feel like the way deer hunting is going as far as trying to buy property, I, I don't want to be that guy that says it's going to be a rich man sport, but in states like Iowa, if you, like, I just don't know what's going to happen in the next 20 years. Like, if you don't have a lease or you don't own your own property, hunting will be left to public, which everybody's like, oh, well, you're in Iowa. Well, here's the deal, man. Less than 2% of the state of Iowa is public access. And that includes state parks where you cannot hunt. So um, I don't know, man. There's a, you know, like, there's a lot of companies out there, or I don't want to say exploiting it, but there's retail, there's um, the real estate side of things who they're making a killing buying and selling land. But I feel like there is a layer of of things that aren't talked about, right? Like who is buying the land in the state, right? Is it because I've lost 800 acres in the past to someone who lived eight hours away. And what do they do? They come for two or three weeks a year. They come for an archery hunt once every handful of years. And then they come and shotgun hunt it or muzzleload, you know, late season muzzleload or hunt it. And then nobody gets to touch that piece of property for the rest of the year. They come to turkey hunt. They may come to shed hunt, but I, I don't think they do. Um, it's been a while since that uh, property has been sold. But I'm just like, what, like, the 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 distribution of where the, like, who is owning some of this property, I, I kind of have a little concern about it. And um, call me crazy, and maybe I'm just thinking out loud here, but I just don't want my area, and I'm sure it's like this in some of your areas too, to, to have all this ground eventually turn, get turned over to someone who is using it 100% for themselves. And they don't even live like I can, I can understand. I can understand if I bought a hundred acres, this is hypothetic, hypothetical. If I bought a hundred acres in Iowa, I would use it. I would be on it all the time, mushroom hunting, turkey hunting with my family. There'd be other hunters other than myself coming on it. But then we have a scenario where an out-of-state guy comes in. Hey, if you want to buy, if you want to buy ground in Iowa, man, all the better. Buy ground in Iowa. But then what happens is we we see this snowball kind of effect where a where a guy will own ground in a state. And he will won't, won't be on it, so it's not technically getting used. So that farm then skews the rest of the area. I don't know. I I wish I had a better you know a better description of what's going on. And now here's here's another thing in Iowa. In Iowa, non-resident landowners cannot get a tag every year, right? For for archery, they have to go into the the draw. So it could, depending on where they own land, it could be one year, it could be two years, it could be four years or five years in certain zones here in Iowa. And they're really trying to pass a, a law right now in Iowa where non-resident landowners can get tags, can get a, an archery tag every year. And my my gut reaction on this is if they do that, if they pass that law, then what's going to happen? Everybody's going to be flooding into Iowa. 
it's going to turn into the Western Illinois Pike County type scenario where it's going to open up ground for like hunting is going to be only what you can afford. And all the locals are going to get displaced. Everybody is going to have to start leasing or buying ground themselves. And it, I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyway, I, I've talked, I've talked way too long on this. And I, uh, I think it's something that the, 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 the hunting real estate market doesn't necessarily talk to talk about enough. And to be honest with you, if you are a real estate agent or a, uh, or a company and you you're hearing this right now, man, holler at me because I would love to pick your brain on the direction that this is going and, and what some of these other layers to this mean. And, and if there is any type of snowball effect that could possibly happen. And if it's contributing to the, the fact that only people with disposable income are going to be able to hunt in the future. So I don't know, wash my hands out of that. Now, before we get into scouting here, that was a big rant and I do apologize. We're going to talk about some companies real quick. Hunt stand. So first off, hunt stand. I'll be using it a lot in the next two weeks. I am going to be doing a lot of scouting in the next two weeks. So I'm going to be looking at hunt stand and obviously hunt stand is a mobile app. You can go to huntstand.com and check it out. What's cool about hunt stand is I'm going to be able to start to put together a graph, uh, a visual catalog, a visual uh, journal of all the scouting of all the hunting that I do of everything that I find, whether that is a rub or a scrape or where I have a tree stand or where I have encounters, um, different satellite imagery, top, you know, topography lines, a whole bunch of different things, uh, wrapped into this one app. It is the most affordable and it is, has the most functionality compared to any other, uh, hunting app on the market. So head on over to huntstand.com. And if you want to enter the discount code SN20, that's going to save you 20%. Then we have wasp <laughs> dude. I'm telling you, they destroy deer. You put a broadhead just about in any part of this body. It's going to do a lot of damage, even on those marginal shots. And we don't really buy broadheads because you know, of what they would do to a heart shot. That's a given The deer is going to die if you shoot it in the heart, but it's the marginal shots right? It's the penetrating power. It's the durability of the, you know, whatever is in the, the, the makeup of that broadhead. That is why we buy certain brands of broadheads. And I can tell you from a guy who's put marginal shots on animals, um, throughout my 15, 20 years of bow hunting that wasp broadheads destroy whatever they hit. And on the marginal shots, you're, you're going to recover your deer. Right. So, um, yeah, wasp archery, check it out. And there's a discount code. I think, yeah, there's a discount code. Discount code for wasp is nine fingers, two, zero, two, one. That's the number nine followed by word by the word fingers, two, zero, two, one for 20% off. And lastly, Ozonics. If you haven't been to ozonicshunting.com, you need to check out all of the products that these guys offer. They have a, uh, uh, an ozone unit for just about every, uh, in every price range. Uh, they got some ones that are pretty expensive and they got some more affordable ones. So check out what ozone does to scent. I'm telling you right now, it is a game changer, especially if you guys are interested 
in making every hunt count, right? There's some of us like myself, man, I hunt a lot, but there's other guys who are only limited to the weekends. And if you want to be aggressive, which you have to be, if you can only hunt a limited, uh, you know, a limited, limited number of days, every hunt matters. So whether that is dry washing your clothes or distorting your scent cone in the tree stand or ground blind, I'm telling you, man, Ozonics, it's the real deal. So uh, ozonicshunting.com. And if you decide to make a purchase, uh, purchase one of their units, you can get a free dry wash bag when you enter the discount code NFC21. NFC21. So there's the commercials. Now, okay, rant over, commercials over. Let's talk a little bit about scouting this time of year. And I mix it with shed hunting. And, and I've really had to train myself not to do this over the years. And that is my head always seems to start working its way up as I am looking for sheds because I'm always looking for like once I am looking for a shed and then I notice, oh man, here's a big rub. Why is this rub here? Why is this scrape here? Ooh, look, I found some edge. And then my head kind of goes up into the sky and I start looking for tree stand locations, right? Mark it on my hunt stand, move on. And that's really how I approach, approach it. But one thing that I feel is really overlooked is cover. And I've, I've noticed this as I've been hunting out west more in states like Nebraska and South Dakota, where there is, isn't a lot of trees in certain areas. It's just grassland forever, small trees, maybe some, some cedar uh, coolies forever. And what, what you don't understand is deer have this uncanny ability to find terrain features that go unnoticed and I've started to, since I've been out there, I've started to notice that in Iowa here, where just because you, you know, in a lot of these Eastern states, just because you see cover doesn't necessarily mean that that's where deer hang out. Sometimes deer hang out in fields, CRP, grasslands, pastures that they are not skylined in, but they can travel through these low spots that run for, you know, run for the entire length of a field, maybe a, a buffer strip or um, a, a waterway in the middle of a cornfield or a, a picked bean field. And to be honest with you, that's throughout the years, that's where I find most of my sheds this time of year. But they're using that, those travel corridors all year round. And so a, I feel like a lot of people overlook those types of um, those types of terrain features just because they're not around the big draws or the ridge lines or the um, uh, what I'm like the, the big pinch points that you might find because I feel like everybody is so that they're they're hyper focused on all of these little things or like these really detailed things when some of those quote unquote detailed things can be out in the middle of a of a field and they can be out in what seems to be flat to you. But I'm telling you, when you get out there, let's say you park your truck on, on a gravel road and you you're looking out into a field and it just looks flat. You walk out there and there is, there's subtle terrain and you get out there far enough. You might be in a, a, a low spot where you might not even see your truck anymore. And maybe you can just see the tops of the power lines and that's it, but you can't see the truck anymore. That 
those are the places where deer like to cross maybe from one timber block to another, or maybe two draws meet up, uh, you know, let's just say North South. And that draw continues to kind of run or that, that low spot runs through a field. I'm telling you right now, they're cruising that at some point. And so don't, don't sleep on those spots. It might be spots to look, A, look for sheds and B, put trail cameras in and just kind of see what's out there and, and see where those low spots maybe connect into a field. And those, you know, those, those are some overlooked spots. Now, the lowest point in a field, and, and if you've listened to the Nine Finger Chronicles long enough, there tends to be some trends in success stories, especially guys who are hunting small acreage and some of that acreage is a field or maybe a pasture or something. And these deer are stepping out in the lowest parts of wherever edge is. And when I'm in, in, in this instance, edge is timberline, pasture or field, okay, or CRP field or something like that. They're not coming out skylining themselves. They're not coming out at the high point where everybody can see. They're coming out at the low point and gradually working their way up to so that they can examine everything in the area. Oftentimes, and I've learned this as well throughout the years, as they're coming out of the timber or as they're transitioning from one piece of terrain to another, there are pockets where the wind will funnel in and out of an area. Sometimes it's uh, strictly directional with it where it's with the wind or sometimes it's thermal where pools will collect you know when the when a field starts to drop and, and we've all been there before where let's say it's an afternoon hunt and things start to cool down and the the cool part kind of sucks everything down in and all it all kind of funnels down into the bottoms. And so these deer are using these, these terrain features. And basically they're scent checking an entire field 50 yards into a timber because these funnels, uh, these thermal uh, pools are, are coming right through this area. And it's kind of reverse as they're heading back to bed, right? If they're out in a field eating, things start to warm up. The thermals are now coming up and they can pocket check all of this terrain and what's in the timber before they head into it so these deer i mean they have this the brain the size of a walnut or whatever it is or the size of a, a fist but you know they're using thousands of years of evolution to hundreds of thousands of years of evolution to to basically know what's going on in their nose to their brain telling them what's going on whether it's safe or not by using these thermals, by using these uh, pockets. And so long, long story short, that is what is dictating, in my opinion, uh, where deer come out and in on this edge. And that's typically on the low part of the field. And definitely looking for those spots. You take that, knowing how deer move, first thing in the morning on average, first thing at, you know, last light on average. And you, you, you find those locations and you put yourself in the timber because statistically and and unless you only have access to a very small piece of property i've noticed that my shooting encounters 
And that means the amount of deer that I have within shooting range goes up, but the amount of deer that I see in a sit goes down. So then, so then what you've realized is, man, you don't necessarily need to see a lot of deer. You need to get within shooting range of the right deer. And you pair that with the scouting that you've done, right? The terrain features that are inside the timber, like a subtle, um, uh, mini ridge. God, there's a term that I, I picked up a spur ridge, right? Where a spur ridge meets a bigger ridge. And then that bigger ridge comes out into that small pocket of field. So basically what we're doing here is we're, we are reverse engineering the terrain and working our way back into the timber, trying to get within shooting range in a terrain feature of where deer are moving through, right? Again, this is how I approach it. I'm pretty sure I'm making it seem more complicated than what it really needs to be. But the more time you spend in a tree stand inside of a a timber lot or um, in some kind of terrain feature, I think the more you, you get to understand that. And so you can find where these deer are coming in. And there's always a point. And this is on, you know, this, this excludes the rut. The rut is chaos. Deer are running all over. They're taking shortcuts. They're looping way around. They got their nose to the ground. I'm talking about deer movement, unpressured deer movement, um, non-breeding season deer movement, where there, there are points where deer take a turn. And it could be a subtle turn. It could be a straight 90 degrees turn. It could almost be a U. But there's a point where deer take this turn. And if you can get a tree stand location within this turn, imagine this. Imagine the the letter U, okay? And imagine at the bottom of the letter uh, letter U is your tree stand location. On the south side, uh, the top of the U is north, the bottom of the U is south. And on the south side of the U, somewhere in there, there's a tree stand, okay? And and then you have a south wind and that blows across the trail, but that's within shooting range. And then your scent goes in between the U, right? Not ruining deer movement. So as the deer work their way through there, maybe let's say it's a, it's a morning hunt. Thermals are rising. Uh, you can, the deer may be able to work right underneath you without them smelling you and if they do smell you hopefully they're within shooting range right so if it's a deer you're after whether it's just to fill the freezer it's a big mature buck you're within shooting range as they kind of scent as they're maybe noticing you and that is how aggressive i typically i typically get uh on some of my uh on some of my hunts now that doesn't that doesn't happen every hunt because there are uh, there are slam dunk spots where access is good, right? Where the wind is good and it's, it might be, Hey, you just walk in from the East, they're traveling North South and it never, and the wind comes from the West, right? Just like a perfect scenario. And so those, those places happen too, but the, uh, you know, the, the access route plays is playing into that. So look for those edge, Right. I can't tell you how important edge really is. Um, an edge can be, again, just like everything, can be subtle. It can be 
wide open. I mean, it can, it can hit you in the face when you walk into the woods and go, that's good edge. And sometimes edge can change or float when vegetation comes off and on. So one thing that I've noticed uh, in the December months, I went in to take some trail cameras down. You see a, a, a trail, right? And that trail may be really hot and they'll use that a lot all summer, even up until uh, September, October, the, all the vegetation drops, the leaves start to drop. There's still a high stem count, but all the leaves are off. So it makes it a little bit, you can see through it a little easier. You can pass through it a little easier and the trail floats. It may float up. It may float down depending on the thickness of the vegetation. And so what I like to do is when I, when I notice something like that, whether I'm walking it in the summertime or I'm walking it in the wintertime, I like to have a tree stand location within that trail floating zone. And so, so that the deer, hell, they may take that, that normal trail or they may float up and down, but I want my trail, my tree stand location to be within that float zone. I mean, I, I, like I, I, I feel like I'm sounding like a douchebag here because I'm coming up with these dumbass terms, but it's true. Like these are just observations that I've made throughout the years. And the later into the season that they get, it could dictate different deer movement. Uh, right away in October, uh, when there's all the vegetation is on, man, that's a different set of deer mo- movement, but they're all still working the same terrain features, whether that's a long ridge or a pinch point, roughly the same. They could just, they just float a little bit through there based off of uh, stem count based off uh, vegetation and, and how thick that, that is in there. So something to, to, to keep up or to, to, keep, to keep in mind. Another thing is, okay, so I talked a little bit about the vegetation. I've talked a little bit about the, um, uh, like the thickness of the vegetation. I've talked about low spots. Another thing that I'm going to be looking for is sign. And I always take this with a grain of salt. Because, as we all know, deer move around. And yes, there are core areas and places that you're always going to find deer. But that, that sign, whether that's an old rub or for, you know, some, for some reason you find a scrape that is an old scrape or something like that. Hell, it could even be a, an active community scrape, which I want to talk about. <laughs> I'm going to deflect here a second. I want to talk about community scrapes. So the definition, I think, of a, of a community scrape is that deer are like just a deer are like a signpost. It's like uh, at a restaurant when you walk into there and everybody posts their business cards up on the little thumbtack thing or in, in the urinal where everybody puts their business cards like, hey, I'm here. Check me out, blah, blah, blah. Man, I don't see a lot of those. Uh, I don't see big, active, open community scrapes where I hunt. Just like I don't see like giant beds where deer just bed in the same spot all the time. I see like everything is fluid, right? Based off of even subtle wind direction changes. So I've noticed that if a, you know, like if a deer if something, if there's, if the wind is out of the North deer, a buck might bet in a, a different area, but if the, or in one area, but if 
there's a northeast wind or a northwest wind that could be two more, right? So like I know there's bedding. So a bedding area is more of something that I'm used to. And it could be on the same ridge. They're just on the the right or the left side of the, the ridge uh, if there's certain types of wind directions. And obviously, as the wind shifts altogether from, let's just say, a south, they're on a completely different face of the valley or of the wherever their core area is because a, a deer's not going to give up position and stay in the same bed on a south wind on a south-facing slope, right? Because they would have no idea what's coming up from behind them. I don't know. It's just, it's, it doesn't make sense to me. So I don't, I don't focus on that. So when it comes, or I shouldn't say it doesn't make sense to me. It makes sense to me, but it doesn't happen where I hunt. I don't see a lot of that. So I don't, I, I don't pay attention to it because of that. Now, when it comes to things like signs, um, so I talked a little bit about community scrapes, but rubs, I feel like a rub can possibly be overlooked. I feel like guys will over, like, I know sign is sign. Like, sign is always old sign, right? It's something from that has already happened. But if you walk into a timber, and I have a couple places like this, or um, a river bottom, or a pasture, there are, and it's a good location, you're going to see, maybe not in the same tree, but all these rubs in a certain area that will allow you to get in, like that will, that will show you that this is a good spot and that it might not be the same tree, but within a 30 yard radius of some point in there, there's going to be, there's always multiple rubs kind of coming through always, always showing up within an area. And that my friend is where you're going to be able to say, Hey, maybe I need to get a tree stand in here, or maybe I need to get a, uh, spend some time in here during that early season or that, uh, you know, that late October timeframe where sign is really starting to pick up and, and monitor it and maybe put a, it might be an un, unlikely spot, but as we all know, those unlikely spots sometimes have some of the, the best deer movement. And, and we don't smell like a deer. We don't see like a deer. Um, we can only, you know, hypothesize of what it is that they actually see and smell. So it might be worth putting a trail camera in there into an empty spot and where all of these rubs throughout the years have been and actually see what is coming through that area. And so I've, I did that, what I did that this year with two trail cameras. And I'll tell you what, I didn't get a lot of deer movement through there. Like the does definitely didn't come through there a lot. Um, but guess what? There, there was pictures of two shooters on the property coming through there on a, I'm going to say the word consistent, but not consistent. Like it wasn't all the time, but it was like once every seven days, once every 10 days. And they would, they would come through there, lay a little bit of sign. And then I wouldn't see him again for another 10 days or something like that. Eight, eight days. So, but, but that tells me they're there and they use this area and it might be a good spot to get in there because the trail camera is only going to tell you so much. You get in there, 
you set a stand up, you hunt maybe two or three times in this area and you get a good 360 observation of the entire area. And then you can say, I, I need to adjust off this point or I'm going to stick it out, maybe come back in, in a couple weeks and see if it's, uh, if it's heated up. So that's what I look for. A little bit of old sign scrapes, man, eh, scrapes can be different every year, man, especially if they're on a field edge. There are some, there are some places, um, I have one trail camera in prediction in particular that there's this one tree. It's a, I don't know. It's a, it's a, a junk tree. I mean, now it's damn near bent over, but every year they, they make a scrape right underneath of it. The licking branch is right there. And I put a trail camera on there and that tells me a lot. And I found that, but other than that scrapes, scrapes tend to, to float as well, just like all sign does. And so, but the, the thing about this is, and what I'm getting at is this documentation, whether it's mental or on an app, right? Let's say like I use hunt stand. So I go out and, and one year you look at it and it doesn't look like much. The next year you, you do the same exact thing. Maybe you, maybe you decide to mark every scrape and every rub and every deer encounter. And what you're going to see, the more dots that you can find on a map, on any, on any plane, right? Talking about statistics now or, or, or mathematics, any dot that you can see on a plane is going to be able to show you trends. And you put all these dots on a, on a map over a one-year, two-year, five-year, ten-year period, it's going to tell you where you need to be. I swear it is. And so you can use that data along with woodsmanship that you've learned throughout that period to put you in the right spot. And you don't need any fancy app that tells you, hey, you need to get out into the woods because today is a kill day or whatever whatever that app is. But what it is going to do, it's going to let you journal all that stuff. And the more information that you can take out of the woods every time you go in, whether it's scouting, whether it's hunting, whether it's shed hunting, whether it's checking trail cameras, if you document everything, you're going to see trends and trends are going to allow you to be more successful. I swear. I mean, I swear it is. And that's, that's just because I've, I've, I've done it. I document everything when I go in into the woods. If you zoom out on some of my hunting properties, it looks like one big red blob. But as you zoom in to it and you get a more finite look at, oh, the deer are always coming through here. Or this trail camera really hasn't produced over the years. Or this, you know, this, I saw a deer here and here and here. And why are they there? Oh man, it's the low spot in the field. Okay, now you're starting, then the pieces of the puzzle all come together. And what you're able to do with your woodsmanship, with your data, is personally forecast deer movement on your properties, where you hunt, know the access routes into those locations, and just every time, up, 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 and the success goes up, up, up. And man, I'm telling you, it's it sounds complicated, but it's not. It's really not. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not. So, um, that, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm doing now, man. I feel like I'm just going berserker today. I think it's the coffee. I need to take a shot of whiskey to calm down or something like that. But the, uh, so that's what I'm looking for. And you know, a shed, 
really doesn't tell me much. A, a shed tells me that a deer dropped his shed there at some point. It doesn't tell you. It maybe tells you where he's eating, where he's traveling. Um, you know, and t- I guess I, I, maybe I take that back a little bit. 2018, I think it was, or was it? Yeah, it was the spring of 2018. I found a shed of a really big deer. I, 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 he was a four-year-old when I saw him. And I said to myself, man, I really hope this deer does not show up within shooting range of me this year because he's right on that border, right? He's a four-year-old, he's mature. So he meets that standard, but his antlers, you know, are just, I don't know. They're just a, a, a decent nine, a decent nine. Well, the next year he doesn't show up on trail camera at all until September 19th or something like that. And he's just getting ready to come out of velvet, but he's in velvet. So I get one picture of him, right? And I'm, and then I, I had documented where I found that shed at as well. So I have a trail camera picture of him in a certain area and I have a, uh, uh, in a, uh, where I lost his shed. So here's what I did. I took a, on a map, I printed one out. I marked a little dot where my trail camera was. And then I marked a little dot did I print it out? I think back then, yeah, I printed it out. A little dot on the, uh, you, I mean, you can do it with your digital stuff too. You can draw straight lines. But mark the trail camera, mark where I found the shed, draw a straight, straight line. And I, I moved in on November 4th into that terrain feature that that line crossed. There was a big terrain feature there. Went into that terrain feature, set up on what I thought was a good wind. And wouldn't you know, he showed up. And I put an arrow in him and now he's hanging on my wall. So yes, that in that instance, a shed because I knew that buck, I had history with him, trail camera history with him, found his shed, had a trail camera picture of him, drew a straight line and there it is. There it is. That's, that's how I, that's how I connected the dots with that particular deer. So there's so there's so many things that I feel like hunting podcasts really do push the envelope when it comes to the hunting strategy because we I think we make it more complicated than it really needs to be. Um, I feel if you are observant and you can absorb information or document it, maybe maybe you're the guy who likes to document it in a little journal. I sat in the Riverside stand tonight and I saw three does and one buck. I named the buck, you know, Melvin. And now Melvin is on my hit list. And well, and then the next year you look back at that same date and you go, oh man, I had an encounter with Melvin on the Riverside stand. Maybe I should hunt the Riverside stand tonight or the next time that there's a, a Northwest wind that Melvin liked. Sure enough, that kind of stuff works too. But if you're able to absorb information, you don't really need to like i feel like everything i've said is is way complicated again it doesn't need to be this complicated so just go all right so that's what i'm going to be doing of course i'm going to be looking for sheds too if i find if i find a shed great i haven't dedicated a lot of time to shed hunting over the last couple years because i like to put all my eggs not not only am i busy with work but i like to put all my eggs in one basket when it comes to uh the hunting season right scouting is great and it's necessary in certain instances but at the same time i'm to the point where 
I can see trends in terrain. I can see, I, I'm, I'm decent. I'm not going to say I'm great, but I'm decent at being able to walk into the woods, see terrain and say, you know what, this might be a good place to start. And then from there, gather information while you're hunting and being mobile allows you to get to the right spot. So there's that. Uh, I think we're going to call it quits on that because I, I really that's it's that simple. Find what you're looking for. Keep it in the back of your head or document it. And then that's a good starting point for the next uh, the next year, I got a, I got a standing uh, cornfield that I'm really interested in walking. I'm gonna go work out today, and hopefully by the time I'm done working out, I can come home, get my boots on, and go walk this standing cornfield. I'm sure there's been some guys who've already walked it, but who knows what could happen, right? Uh, and I'll be doing a little scouting as well. On top of that good vibes out to all of you guys man i really hope all of you guys uh, find what you're looking for um whether it's the the hunting journey so to speak or whether it is just the good vibes i don't know man i don't know what to say good vibes that's all i'm setting out hopefully you guys get them put them back out in the universe uh for someone else who needs them and uh don't forget to subscribe to the nine finger chronicles don't forget to subscribe to the sportsman's nation podcast network whitetail hunting feed uh, or the big game feed or follow any of your other favorite podcasts on the on the sportsman's nation network and man we're doing big things i'm happy for uh, all the guys involved i'm i'm happy for all of you who are listening thank you very much and we'll talk to you next time Thank you.